Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 19. And by the way, we're glad to have the young people in here tonight. As I said, Brother Kenneth is gone, and so we're delighted to have them in our study tonight and uh, thank the Lord for them. Proverbs 19. We got down to verse 9 last week, and it was rather interesting and uh, <laughs> one of those verses that, boy, you know, I, I I don't want to move on from this. There's so many thoughts that come to mind. He's talking about a false witness. Shall not go unpunished. And he that speaketh the lies shall perish. And so many times, you know, we look at situations, you know, with the politicians or whoever it might be, and and it's become a common saying, you know, regardless of what you do, if you've got enough money and you know the right people, you can get off. You can get by with it. Uh, well, you know, it appears that way, and uh, from the from the standpoint of you know of man, that might be true. But here it says a false witness shall not be unpunished, and so their payday's coming someday. And so don't ever think that just because they were not indicted here below that they won't have to answer to God. So tonight we pick up in verse number ten. Verse 10, it says, Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Uh, the word delight that, that's translated delight there speaks about delicate living or, or, or luxury. And uh, the whole idea here is that that kind of living is not suitable for someone that is a fool because uh, of the fact that his character makes him more deserving of a of a beating instead of a blessing. Whenever somebody's living the life of a fool, you know, you don't think about them excelling, you don't think about them succeeding, you don't think about them gaining the privileges that others might gain through hard work and and uh, things of that nature. And so it just seems out of place for him to conduct himself, you know, uh, in a foolish manner and then turn around and uh, and prosper. Boy, whenever we think about what's going on in the world today and the uh, and it's in the entertainment industry and the, the athletes, uh, the pro athletes and so forth, that uh, it's just sickening to think about, you know, so and so's got this multi-million dollar contract, and uh, and uh, the next thing you know, they're wanting to redo their contract. They they they're not satisfied with, you know, some of those guys got more money than they could spend in a lifetime if they've got any sense at all, and and they're absolutely never satisfied. And and the fact of the matter is, so many people, when you think about the people of the world that get paid all of the big bucks to entertain us and what have you. Uh, so many of them, now it's not true of all of them, but so many of them have absolutely not a lick of sense. And a lot of them have the morals of an alley cat, and yet we've got people fawning over them and just like, like you know, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they need to be locked up in prison somewhere. And, it, you know, it just doesn't seem right, you know, for them to have all of the luxury homes and the big cars and all of the, you know, all of the finer things of life whenever they are of such low character. Well, that's kind of the point that he's making here. 
and he's going to illustrate that point by referring to a a servant having the rule over the princes. Notice, he said, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Now, you know, that's that's not normal. That's not something you would expect for somebody that is a fool in some way to be in a position of leadership to where he's dictating to the princes, that is to the leaders, and telling them what to do. It's, it's just backwards. You know, there's some exceptions, uh, such as Joseph, of course, but generally speaking, the slave lacks the ability to rule over people. One One old commentary that I read some years ago said... By the unwise favoritism of a potentate, a slave of lowly birth might be raised to eminence and set above the nobles and princes of the world. And Solomon alluded to that over in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he talks about, you know, the servant riding on the horses and the master walking along beside and talking about, you know, those that are servants ruling over those that are supposed to be leaders. Now, it doesn't take much wisdom to realize that whenever foolish people are put in positions of leadership, there's going to be trouble ahead. Uh, a, A nation is in danger if it is being run by foolish people. And so many times we wonder, how in the world did our nation get in the mess that it's in today? I mean, those of you that are my age or anywhere close to my age, and you look back and you think about how the world was back then, and and you think about how it is now, and, and, and it's amazing. Just coming over here, I just happened to have the radio on listening to Michael Barry, and he was talking about the fact some, I, I don't even know the guy's name, some famous comedian had uh, passed away, and uh uh, th- this this guy back in his day had been arrested for numerous times for what was uh, what was viewed as vulgar entertainment. And uh, whenever he was having one of his shows, the cops showed up and just sat there and just waited and listened. And as soon as he said something, it was it was off to the jail for him. And they were commenting, you know, nowadays you, you use the same language with sixth graders. You know, kind of like that made it okay. Let me tell you, if it's wrong then, it's wrong now. And, and, and Because truth never changes. And we have become so crude, so rude, so sinful today that we don't even recognize our sinfulness and we put people in positions of leadership. By the way, that's all a reflection of the uh, of the populace, by the way. We, we think about, you know, whoever might be president. That is just a reflection of who we are as a nation because that demonstrates the choices that we made. And let me tell you, giving a person a title or a position doesn't qualify him for the job. Just because, you know, you say, all right, I'm going to make you chief executive officer, you know. Boy, I mean, now with this title like this and with a paycheck like that, wow, you ought to do great things. No, no, they're not going to do great things. They're going to do the same dumb things they would have done, you know, if they'd been out there working on the line somewhere. Because they're not capable 
of, uh, of functioning in that kind of a position. And so this is the whole idea here. And we often use the phrase talking about the world that it's an upside down world. And that's about the way it is nowadays. It's upside down. You have unqualified people in positions of leadership and so forth and those that are undeserving of uh, great prosperity and the finer things of life and you see them living in the lap of luxury and enjoying all the things everybody else wishes they had, you see. So this is what he's talking about. Verse number 11 the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. There's an old Latin proverb that said that uh, anger is a short madness, and today we'd call that temporary insanity. And, and let me tell you, I know something about this because, I mean, this gets right down to where I lived and the way that I was up until the day that the Lord saved me. I'm talking about from the time back whenever I was a small boy. I can't tell you how many baseball, basketball, gloves, baseballs and stuff I've literally thrown over the fence and out of the park because I was mad. Uh, the times that I've cussed and stomped off of the field. Uh, the windshields I've kicked out and the dents I've made in cars and the furniture I broke. And I, I, I was a loose cannon, a, a complete nut. I, and I'm, I'm just confessing to you that I couldn't control myself. I, I, I'd get angry about something and man, I was, uh, I shouldn't be telling all that because you thought I was an angel all of my life or something. But. But I'm, I'm just trying to be honest and tell you that I know from experience how this is. I know how foolish and how dangerous anger can be. I know how costly anger can be. And, and notice he says, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. And, of course, the word discretion has to do with good judgment and what have you. And if a person has good judgment, it deferreth their anger and as you know you know it's uh, somebody said and one woman was bragging to a preacher said yeah I don't, I don't mean nothing but all that ranting and raving you know said I just I just have my rant and I go throw one of my fits and what have you and it's all over in a minute or so and I go on and the preacher looked at her said you know it's the same with a shotgun blast it's all over in a minute but it sure does a lot of damage and that's the way it is a lot of times whenever we lose our temper and we say things and do things that, that we shouldn't have done. We lose control. We become harmful to ourselves and harmful to others. And deferred anger uh, can cause us and keep us from these fatal errors, from intense heartache and what have you. And you know, let me tell you right now, if you are a slave to your passions, you're to be pitied because you're headed for trouble. I mean, you're, it's just like, you're, you're just like a bomb waiting to go off till somebody lights your fuse and you're going to explode. And another thing, and I'll develop this in some other message in regards to anger. But since we're talking about it, I want to kind of throw it in here. You know, a lot of people use anger as a weapon or as a tool. That's two different things now. They use it as a weapon, you're going to get back at people, or they use it as a tool to manipulate people and to get what they want. They, they live, 
they live in, in such a way that they keep others in fear that, oh, I better not say this or I better not do that. But why? Well, because, you know, they'll get mad if, if I say anything about it. Let me tell you, I know people right now that I'll guarantee you if I, in the most loving and kind way, were I to just gently call to attention uh, what just might possibly be some of their faults, Man, I'm telling you, you wouldn't see them anymore. They'd be out here. They'd be gone. And let me tell you, part some of them's family too. And people are people are that way a lot of times. Uh, we have relatives that way. You know, you dare not say anything to him. Why? Well, because he'll get mad. And and, and it's a horrible, terrible thing when people use their anger to try to control other people. And it happens all of the time, you see. And it's foolish. The wise person refuses to act without deliberation. Why? Well, he knows impulsive behavior is generally bad. It has bad consequences. Maybe you'll remember me talking about it shortly after I was saved and and almost get it into the carload of college kids. I was over by SMS there in Springfield, and you know it's one of these deals where you pass me and I'll pass you, and that, and and it went on and on and back and forth. And we pulled up to the stoplight, and one of them started cussing. I'd just been saved a short time, and uh, one of them started calling me names. I was by myself, but let me tell you. If it had been just a couple of weeks earlier, I'd have piled out of that car and started knocking windows out with a tire tool or something. And and and, and I'm I'm kind of proud of that moment because that was the first time in my life, and I mean this, it was the first time in my life that I, with God's help, was able to control my temper and say, "Look, I can't afford to do that." I said in a message some time ago, we had a. A certain thing happened regarding a member of my family uh, in Kentucky, and uh, and and the course of the message had to do with the fact that you got to be careful because I don't care who you are, things can happen that will cause you to act out of character, and you'll do something that you normally wouldn't ever do. And I'm telling you, I was the pastor of that church there, but I would have killed the guy. And I mean it, I literally would have killed the guy. And the cops, somebody found out about it, and the cops come to me and told me, don't you dare go up there, you know. And, and, and it gave me time for reflection and to think about it. And I thought, you know, I, I'm, my kid's not going to have any daddy. I'm going to be in prison. My wife's not going to have a husband. And what a black eye this is going to give to the church. Uh, and, and the whole point is, folks, you know, we've got that old saying, you know, whenever you get angry, count to ten. Well, sometimes you need to count to a hundred or a thousand. You know, you, you just need to settle down before you blow up. And a lot of times the reflection on the situation will cause you to moderate your action. And, and, and it's so important that we do it. By the way, just lowering your voice a lot of times whenever you're having an argument or something, that'll go a long ways in trying to settle things down. But, you know, we get angry and all of a sudden we're losing control of ourselves. But, but notice the second part of this verse because uh, it's extremely important. He says, and it is his glory it's his glory to pass over a transgression. 
What a wonderful thing it is to overlook the offenses that have been committed against us, to suffer wrong without anger and without revenge. You've heard me talk about, you know, for a long time I used to feel like I was the dirty hairy uh, among preachers because even though I restrained my actions, I, I just had that vigilante spirit in me, that part of my old nature, I guess, and there was just something in there nagging all of the time. Boy, I wish I could get even with that guy. You know, I, man, I'm telling you what, I wish I could get even. What a horrible, terrible thing to feel that way. It is to the glory of a person to pass over a transgression. You know, there is no way in the world that you and I can live in this world without people mistreating us. There will be people that will abuse you. They will neglect you. They will ignore you. They'll hurt you in a thousand and one different ways. And, and, and I'll guarantee you right now that you're never going to make everything better by trying to get even with people. It just doesn't work that way. You're going to end up making things worse, and it's a whole lot better if you can pass over a transgression. Uh, to suffer wrong without revenge and anger, does that remind you of anything? Well, it reminds me of Christ. Amen? Isn't that exactly what he did? There's a verse over in the book of Micah, if you want to turn there. and If you don't, I'll, I'm, I'll read it to you. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. And... Um, it says, who is like, who is a God like unto thee? Now, now notice this description of God. That pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. He, he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we delighted in being merciful to others instead of you know, instead of wanting to hurt them like they hurt us. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to overcome evil with good. And this, we, we, you know, like somebody said, you know, if we live in an eye for an eye world, the whole world be blind. And that's right, because we've all got our faults, and sooner or later, sooner or later, if you're living like the survival of the fittest, sooner or later, there's somebody better than you are, and then you're going to get you. And so it's a whole lot better off if we treat one another like Christ treats us. And one of my favorite sections of Scripture is there in Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, beginning in verse number 31, said, Let all, I've underlined these words in black ink in my Bible, let. You know, that tells me that you have something to do with it, let. It doesn't have to happen. Let. You can make this happen. You can do this. Let all. And, you know, not just a little bit, not just part of it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Wouldn't it be a great world if we get rid of all that junk? And the very next verse says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
But the, the old song that says, uh, see, for he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. You know, if we really feel that way, uh, it'll help us to begin to realize that, uh, that whenever God forgave us, it was such a wonderful expression of his mercy and his grace that we ought to be willing to do that to other people because it's only by the grace of God it wasn't you. It could have been you. And we've got to understand that the only difference between you and the worst person you know is Jesus. That's the only difference. It's not because you're better, you're smarter, or anything else. It's because of what He enables you to do. Verse number 12, the king's wrath is as a roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. Uh, here's the king of the jungle. Now, I know Tim, uh, my son Tim, he, he's a fan of the tigers, you know. He's a, uh, it used to be, it used to be eagles and now it's tigers. He had statues of eagles everywhere. Now it's pictures of tigers and that, you know, that's okay. And so, he made sure he informed me the other day that, uh, you know, the lion's called the king of the jungle, but a tiger can actually uh, kill a lion. And, uh, you know, I guess that's true. I don't know. But but anyway, the lion's known as the king of the jungle. I don't want to fight either one of them, do you? And uh, here, notice the king of the jungle is compared to the king of a nation. And we think about the lion's roar that... And I remember to this day, I can remember as a boy going to the zoo there in Springfield and that big old lion, you know, the nickname was Leo. I think it had on the cage even there. And boy, that big old lion would roar and you could hear that all over the entire, entire zoo. It was, it was amazing. And that lion's roar is to instill fear in man and beast. And you, you, you don't ignore it if that line's not caged up. All the way back to the time of the Assyrians, the lion has been used as a type of royalty. And the ancient monuments, in fact, uh, express that and proves that it's true. And even Solomon on his throne, he had the six steps and with the, with the lions on it and what have you. And so, uh, with with all of that in mind, we need to think about the wrath of the king because remember, the word of the king is the law of the land. You, you and I have a really hard time identifying with this, don't we? Having been raised here in a republic with a democracy and, and, and so forth, we, we can't identify living under a king and whatever the king says, you know, goes and to just enter into his presence uninvited or even to enter into his presence with a sire look on your face, you might be executed. And uh, so it was a serious thing. Whatever the king said, that's what it was. He has the power to inflict injury. He has the power to execute those that provoke him to anger. And so that's why this warning is given here. Now, think about it. If that's true in regards to an earthly king, think about how much more dangerous it is to anger the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
I mean, nobody in their right mind back in that day would have intentionally provoked the king. You might get in a fight down at the pub, but, you you know, you don't mess with the king. You don't do anything that's going to offend him. And yet we've got a lot of people that set themselves against God. They've entered into conflict with God. Let me tell you, they're going to lose. And his roaring is expressed here in the Word of God with one warning after another. On the other hand, the king's favor is something that we ought to that we ought to desire. I mean, we we often talk about the fact that the one greatest thing in all the world that we want to do is to what please the Lord. We want to glorify God through obedience to His Word. Pleasing God, that's what life is all about. And that's why he says, notice, His favor, the favor of the king, is as dew upon the grass. Well, that doesn't make any big impact we read that. Several years ago, I read a book called The Land and the Bible, and it was a book that every is out of print, and every preacher is trying to get a hold of it. And a Dr. Gilkey made a comment on his research over there. And nor- normally I don't do stuff like this, but I want—I just want to read to you what he said uh, about the the dew on the grass. He said, "The secret of the luxuriant fertility of many parts of Palestine lies in the rich supply of moisture afforded by the sea winds, which blow inland each night." And water and waters the face of the whole land. There is no dew, properly so called in Palestine, for there's no moisture in the hot summer air to be chilled into dewdrops by the coolness of the night, as in a climate like ours. And from May till October, rain is unknown. The sun shining with its unclouded brightness day after day, the heat becomes intense. The ground hard, the vegetation would perish but for the moist west winds that come each night from the sea. The bright skies cause the heat of the day to radiate very quickly into space so that the nights are as cold as the day is the reverse. To this coldness of the night air, the indispensable watering of all plant life is due. The winds loaded with moisture are robbed of it as they as they pass over land and the cold air condensing it into drops of water which fall in a gracious rain of mist on every thirsty blade, do seem to the Israelites, a, and this is the part I want you to get, do seem to the Israelites a mysterious gift of heaven as indeed it is. And the favor of an oriental monarch could not be more beneficially conceived than by saying that while the wrath of the king is like a roaring lion, his favor is as the dew upon the grass. You see, I don't know about you, but that helps me to feel the power of that proverb because it puts me in the sandals of people living back there in that day in that place, and it serves to remind me of the blessings associated with gaining the favor of God. And wouldn't we be fools to not desire such favor from God? And just as that due to the folks in Palestine was something that was so mysterious, so rare, that that they looked upon it as being a gift 
gift or a miracle from God. And let me tell you, in, in, in my life, and I'm sure in your life, there have been times that, uh, that there have been things that happened to you that just seemed like it was an absolutely miracle. It was like we'd say back in Missouri, it just knocked your socks off. You, 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 you didn't dream of that. Why, why is God so good? It's just a mystery. Well, you know, I don't know the mind of God in regards to all of that, but I can tell you that at least in part, in part, it's due to the fact that you are trying your best to live a life that's pleasing to God. And when you do, when you do, those marvelous things will happen. You know, we often talk about, for example, let's say going out, Brother Rick and I have talked about this, going out knocking on doors, and we hear all of the time, you know, that doesn't work nowadays. That's uh, uh, these are wicked times, and, uh, and it won't work. People don't want you there, and and all of that is somewhat true, by the way. Uh, but it's never stopped the Jehovah Witnesses, just the Baptists. But the amazing thing about this, folks, is this: that whenever we do our best to invite people to church. We might never get them to come, but God will send somebody else. You see, He blesses in such a way that He gets all the glory from it. Because if I go out and knock on the door and say, hey, we'd love to have you come down there at Lakeway. We just, we got the greatest church in all the world. We'd love to have you to come down there and worship with us. And they show up next week. Hey, you can pat me on the back. Say, hey, they're here because Brother Stone went down there and visited with them. You see. And we, God might not get any glory out of that. But, but whenever God does it His way, and I go out there, you know, and I, I invite ten people, none of them come. But all of a sudden, like this precious couple that came in that I don't remember ever meeting these dear folks before, they they just showed up here tonight. I said, wow, you know, keep it coming. That. This is what he's talking about, the favor of a king. And I'm telling you, folks, as long as we as a church can stay in the favor of God, we don't have a thing in the world to worry about. We'll have members come and go. We'll have people that will be disgruntled. We'll have problems and all of those things. But if we just keep pleasing God, everything's going to turn out all right. You know, there's another verse here. In fact, the next two I I, I wish I could comment on. I'm going to stop right there tonight. But having the young people in here, I really wanted to get down through verse number 14 especially. Uh, But but I'll spare you tonight. Okay? That's next week. May. Well, no, next week we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper, by the way. So, uh, but, but we'll get to it. But the part was a prudent wife is from the Lord. And uh, just in a passing comment to the young people, as I knew they were going to be here tonight, uh, I, I was just going to remind them of how important it is that they marry the right person because next to your salvation, young people, the most important thing you'll ever do, most important decision you'll ever make, it's who you marry. And uh, so uh, that's the best I can do in the time I got. So. <laughs>
Thank you all for being here tonight. Anybody got a chorus on your heart that you'd, you'd, you'd like for us to sing tonight? All right, how about this one? I love Him. I love Him because He first loved me. And purchased my salvation on Calvary's tree. Well, amen. How, how could you not love him? Did I hear right that you folks showed up as a result that you were watching the service on the, on, on our internet thing? Is that right? See, Brother Mike back there working in that sound room, and he puts that all together. We got people in other states that you don't know anything about. In other states, we've got folks that are watching our service, folks watching here tonight, in fact. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day, said, do you do anything different? And I said, nope. Just because the broadcast is going out, it's Wednesday night. I don't wear a tie on Wednesday night, and uh, I'm liable to show up in my Levi some night, so don't. Uh... All right, let's all stand. We're going to be dismissed by prayer. Shake somebody's hand. Let them know that you love them. And, uh, and uh, Brother Fred, would you word our prayer, please? Continue to bless our church. Father, just be with each one on our prayer list. Lord, you know each one. And we lift them all up to you tonight. Lord, we ask that you help us to present Christ to those about us. That they might see Jesus through us. That they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be your witnesses. Help us not to fail you. Forgive us when we do. And get, ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.